Are we ready? Are we pumped? Who's pumped? Hello, and welcome to this very special episode of the Progressive Rugby League podcast. This is the first instalment of the PRL Book Club. My name is The Slug, and with me tonight are my two very good friends, PRL experts, Big Al. Hello, Big Al. Hi, it's uh, wonderful to be here. Do you think I should keep this voice up, or should I give it away now? Maybe after the intros you should, we can talk. Okay. As you, as you normally would. That suits me just fine. Mm. Jono. Hey, how we doing? <laughs> Good to be back. Book club, how exciting. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. read books, people. We read books, or we read book. We do, when uh, the craziness of life gives us the chance to, of That's course. Right. And, um, Jono, this was your brainchild. What, what are we doing here this evening? Well, in the first ever, I'm going to call it first ever because I've never heard it being done elsewhere, first ever rugby league book club, we are going to talk about the book The Forbidden Game by Mike Rylance, which looks at the rise and fall of Mm. French rugby league, the dramatic rise and the dramatic fall of French rugby league. Something we feel strongly about here, and quite recently on our Twitter account, Mm. you've been posting up little snippets from the book just mm. to kind of give people little little taste, little, yeah. little little teasers of what they could find inside if they were to read the book? Yeah, well, look, once again, I'm going to call it a, a first. Uh, for the first time ever, a, live, a book was live-tweeted by us as we were going through the book. We were just uh, tweeting little excerpts, little anecdotes of interest. Mm. And that's how we're going to structure this, this conversation today. We're just going to go through what we found interesting in the book through our tweets, and then we're going to have discussion around that throughout, because the tweets pretty much uh, pave a linear path through the the book, so it's actually a good way to go through the book, so I'm really looking forward to it. What I like most about this is uh, Rugby League Book Club first, and live tweeting a book first. Mm. Rugby League, once again, pioneering. Yeah, it's a pioneering sport. (laughs) Always has been. Yep. So the book itself, uh, it it portrays how the the game in France... Mm was uh, was basically killed off. Are we being dramatic saying that? No, not at all. No, I mean, it's exactly what happened. It, it, but it paints a beautiful context of the lead up to that. So, mm. give, all... us, give us some background to the book, then, Jonathan. Yeah, sure. Look, we have to really look at what French rugby was like in the lead up to the birth of French rugby league. So, the book takes us through what happened in the lead-up to that. Mm. So the French Rugby League was basically born around 1933, 1934. But French rugby in the 20s and 30s, it's really interesting to, to read about what that was like because it was bogged down in dourness. It was beset by violence on and off the field. People were dying. People were dying. What, playing the, rugby? Well, not yeah. only that. Not only of boredom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not only of that. But people were dying in the crowd because of, of the violence that was happening in the crowds. And so, and also, the British, who basically ran the game of rugby at that time, they basically didn't want a bar of France because of that. So they banned uh, France from international competition. Mm. So this is the, the, the broad landscape of French rugby at that time, which created a little gap in the market for something called, a little game I like to call, a rugby league. Mm. What, is that what your, your reflections are there, Big? 
Yeah, completely. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, the English kicked out France and it was a lack of international competition uh, really drove the, the French crazy, I think. Yeah. They, they really placed a lot of value on being able to compete at the international stage yeah. um, and having been effectively excommunicated mm. uh, from the global rugby community, yeah, opened up the opportunity. So, so, so how are we going to go through this, John? Well, maybe it's a good time to start uh, going through our tweets. And yeah. I think we've got a soundtrack to uh, accompany our reading of each tweet. So That's shall right. we get we'll, we'll started get, with the first yeah, one? let's get it, everybody in the mood. Drop it like it's hot. Okay, so through sheer brilliance, new immortal Dave Brown helped convince the, rugby, the French to give rugby league a go. The Kangaroos played an exhibition match in Paris at the end of their Kangaroo tour on December 31, 1933. Brown wowed them with four tries. So that was a game that was put together uh, pretty quickly between the Australian Kangaroos and I think it was an English... Yeah, it was in the English, yeah. The English. So it was in Paris just to, to show the French what rugby league was about. Yeah. And the reaction was quite astonishing. And right. Dave Brown, who has just been recently named an immortal, scored four tries. Yeah. And he, he really helped in, in a small way forge rugby league in France in the 1930s. You would have to imagine that neither side was, you know, taking early penalty goals or anything in that game. They were there for excitement factor, right? Well, that's right. And that's what really captured the imagination of the French public because you had, uh, like I was saying, a very dour game that rugby had become in those days. Obviously, both sports are very different to what they are now, but it was a particularly dour sport in, in France back then. And then to show them what rugby league had to offer, which was a very much more open game. Obviously, there were two less players on the field, and there was there was you know concentration. Then, then, on... then there was like it was more action as well. That's so right. It was constantly flowing without without stoppage. Yeah. Um, so, so no no lineouts, um, all that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Really... So it was really uh, interesting as we go along to to see how French, the French players adapted to the game of rugby league. So that was the first tweet. So shall we go on to the next one, please? France's first ever rugby league game was against Wigan at Central Park, the famous Central Park in, in, in Wigan. They lost 30-27 to 27 to a late Wigan try, but scored seven tries to six. So there you go. I mean, they're the moral winners there. They lost because of poor goal kicking, but scored seven tries yeah. to six against yeah. Wigan. So that, that, that was a, a, great, a great start. And this was quite amazing in that this was a ragtag bunch of a French team uh, pulled together of mm. players that had never played rugby league before. They didn't even really know the rules properly, how they should be playing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> went on, got on a train, or yeah, the Euro style, and got on a boat, I guess, <laughs> and went across to England, did a tour with the, the then Northern, Northern Union clubs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, played several games. But the fact that their very first game, they only narrowly lost uh, to Wigan. Yeah. Shows that things were things were looking good. For and did they complain that they didn't know what they were doing and that they didn't know the rules? Probably, <laughs> but it didn't stop them from getting in there having a red hot go. You know, an interesting anecdote that I find in the early games when the French were playing was that they always fell for dummies. Like they, oh, yeah. it seemed like that. <laughs> there were no dummies in rugby union at that stage. So rugby league they were, were throwing dummies and, and they French... fall for them every time. <laughs> If they could, ju- the the reaction was if That's they could it. just stop falling for the dummies, they'd be really good at this. Yeah, game. You have a player there standing there going, but but, 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 but <laughs> that was dishonest. <laughs> That's right, Jacuzzi. <laughs> so that links with um, another tweet that that I had later on, which said, "Asked to name the essential qualities of the game, any tresiste will begin by talking of the necessity to fare le spectacle." To put on a show to entertain the public. 
you know, seven tries six already, they were entertaining the public. Mm. And that really permeated through French rugby league in that golden era of the 30s. And it still lives on today. It's actually, uh, there's actually a French way to play rugby league, which Toulouse Olympique, our friends at Toulouse Olympique, do in, in space. It's called Happy Rugby Happy League. Rugby league. Happy Rugby League is the French way. It's the French style. <laughs> so shall we go on to the next one? Let's go. Well, cue music. The first French tri-scorer in a rugby league game in France, Louis Von Lee, wore a disguise of wig and fake beard. As he crossed the tri-line, his opposite caught the wig in his hand and pulled it off. He thought he'd scalped Lee and fainted. <laughs> This is one of those stories, right? People, this, all the time you hear things and you, you, all you think is only in rugby league is this possible. <laughs> even, even in like 1930s France, yeah. crazy stories like this are happening. So, How about a penalty try fire tackle too if it's grabbing <laughs> by the beard? So this was a game, this was a curtain raiser to the actual first game that was going to be played, I think, in the, the first French championship. And it was in a team that was called QEC that was a, a break-off of a Parisian rugby team. And so the, the, the person there, I did a bit of research, Lois Van Lee, he was a French rugby journalist uh, on TV and radio, became a, a, a TV journalist and he was a journalist on radio on rugby. So I was trying to work out, it didn't actually say in the book why he was wearing a disguise of uh, beard and, and wig. Like, I, you know, I would have liked to know why, but I assume A, he was part of a rugby club and B, he was a journalist on rugby. And, but he was so he was so tempted by that this this wonderful game that he just had to had to play one way or another. He could have been the instigator, yes, of one of our pillars of rugby league. He could have been the first. That's right. Person who thought this is a funny game. Let's make it fun. <laughs> right, I was trying to work right. out which pillar. He was to, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, comedy. Like I, yeah. I imagine, like you know, one of those comedy kind of Scottish. Orange yeah. beards. Yeah. You know, something like that. Can you so, imagine the, the guy who fainted uh, when he sort of woke up and, and Lloyd's would have been like, oh, it was just a wig, it was just a wig, don't worry about it. I'm imagining like a really melodramatic, like, hand on the forehead, <laughs> sort of faint. Thirty <laughs> <laughs> stop. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. Bye. <laughs> uh, a really hilarious moment. Okay, next tweet. France's first rugby league international was played in Paris on the 15th of April, 1934. They lost 32-21 to England in front of 20,000 fans. The game was highlighted by a virtuoso try by English standoff Emlyn Jenkins. Mm. So that was the first international against English team, which was, I suppose at that time, they were, if not the best in the world, close to. Um, And their first game, they ran them pretty close, 32-21. So already the French showed that they could really match it with the best in the world in their first ever international game. And I'm saying great crowd size, but I might be judging by today's standards. Like, no, well, <laughs> so you really think it was about 11,000? <laughs> Inflated. But did they count the employees at the <laughs> stadium as well? No, no, no. I, I just mean that uh, crowd sizes generally were better back then. Well, I well, mean, I mean the, the thing, capacity probably would have been about 20,000 as well. True. Like, the, the yeah. stadiums were a lot smaller. Yeah. And there was also, like... Hard to get around... And, yeah, and far, a lot less options. to do. Yeah, entertainment options are few and far between. <laughs> yeah. so. Yes, but also not, not easy, uh, you know, the media, not easy to get the message out that there was a game on, you know. <laughs> so 20,000 was a great crowd and just showed, because like we were saying earlier, there was a gap in the international scene. Yes. And, and the, the sort of leaders of French Rugby League, Jean Gallier being one of them, knew that they had to put on international rugby league. And the rugby league counterparts, in England especially, were very... 
uh, forthcoming with you know giving them yeah international like, contest. Right, so let's go. Yeah. Let's do it. They were really keen. So the next one, Salford were officially the first club to tour France. Now they unofficially, I think Leeds were, but they had a couple of players from York or Yorkshire, so they weren't officially the first club. In 1934, just before the inaugural French competition, Salford beat the Catalan 13 at a ground that two weeks prior was just a house with fruit trees. <laughs> so entering fans passed builders on their way out. This is allegedly what now, happened. is this... I, I'm not sure if I've got my timelines right, but is this one of those times when... Because I know throughout this, this tale, the French Rugby League is continually beset, plagued by um, skullduggery from the French yes. Rugby Union to try and to, to hold them back. And a lot of times they've, uh, either through out-and-out uh, out threats about, yeah. to other sports about not letting Rugby League use their grounds, yeah. is this one of those times it when is, yeah. the, the Rugby League were basically blocked out from using every single stadium in the local area, yeah. so they had to go about and build their own? They basically built their own in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and it was just they saw a house you know, with a few, few tr- fruit trees and s- said, you know what, yeah. let's yeah. play Rugby League. She looks like a stadium to me. <laughs> So quite, a, quite astonishing, but well done, Salford. Salford were officially the first team. The City Red Devils, they're, they're fighting for promotion, well, to stay in the Super League this year, but they were the first uh, club to visit France. Next, 10 teams contested the first Rugby League Championship, which kicked off on the 7th of October 1934. In the match of the round, Villeneuve, led by Rugby League pioneer Jean Gallier and legendary scrum half Max Rousset, beat the Catalan 13, 48-25. So a couple of important names there. Jean Gallier was really the, the guy who led um, the French Rugby League insurgency. He was a player who play, he was a very good player for French rugby, fell out with authorities and basically uh, you know, went about creating a market for French rugby league. He toured all around the country trying to recruit players so it was a very influential figure early on. Very interesting character. He was, a, I think, a very good boxer as well. Uh, not a particularly nice person, but like one of those like leaders of probably men. why he fell out. Was, I think I think he was he was a highly focused individual. So when he yeah. wanted to do something, he just did it, I guess. And yeah, we do really owe uh, as rugby league fans, we owe a great debt to him mm. for his pioneering acts in setting up French rugby league. And, and An interesting fact: sure. I, throughout, through when I was reading the book, I was always reading his. Um, I guess it's a case of the eyes see what the mind wants the eyes to see. I was mm. reading his name as Jean Galea, thinking he was somehow related to Ben Galea. Oh, always a tiger's lens, <laughs> hey? How about you, Miguel? Yeah. <laughs> and we should also mention Max Rousse, uh, who was considered one of the best French rugby players of either code of all time. Wow. And he was uh, part of that Villeneuve team. So I'll combine that with the next tweet. So France took to rugby league quickly. Inaugural champs in the 1934-35 season, Villeneuve in the championship and Lyon in the cup, ran their UK counterparts close. Leanne Leon lost the Challenge Cup, lost to Challenge Cup champions Castleford 24-21, and Villeneuve lost to England champions Swinton Lions 27-25. So two close games from the champions of England versus the champions of France. Once again, we're seeing that French Rugby League, they, the players took to the game very quickly and were very yeah. competitive early on. I can't believe the Swinton Lions were ever the English champions. That's yeah, I was like, going to say, haven't they? Good for change. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well done. So, for the, yeah. well, there's, a, there's a great history to all those English teams. Um, and we spoke about Halifax. Dewsbury, of course. Spoke about Halifax last week who Barry. were fighting for promotion. Barry. I think they were part of the, uh, 
the biggest ever rugby league crowd in, in the UK. 102,000 versus Bradford at Odsall. There you go. Next. All right. Toulouse Olympique. They joined the competition in 1937-38, the first match on October 24, 1937. During that season, the Kangaroos toured France for a test series for the first time, winning both tests. The second was a close 16-11 win in front of 23,000 fans in Marseille. Now, I'll combine that with the next one. The Kangaroos lost one of 10 on their French tour in 1938 to a mid-Pyrenees selection. However, they did play the day before versus Cote Basque, where they picked up injuries and, quote-unquote, suffered as a result of the Basque hospitality. Wow. Now, they don't elaborate on that, <laughs> what the Basque hospitality meant, but I'm assuming it was a pretty rough game the day before. So, so, oh, right, so it doesn't mean there was too much hospitality. Oh, I thought, hospitality. That I thought it meant yeah. that they plied them with wine they and had too much to drink. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, what I that's how I read that. Well, I mean, I've got no idea. There was no context to that part of the book, but you know, that, maybe that shows uh, how naive I am about uh, the vices. I really hope that team was called the Mid-Pyrenees Selection too. <laughs> uh, there was a French translation which I couldn't quite. Sounds like the name of the cheese that I bought from the supermarket. <laughs> and yeah, you know, the Kangaroos made a big impression on their inaugural tour of France in 1938. Following the tour, several clubs were formed with the name Kangaroos Gallia. So oh. the Kangaroos, like we were saying earlier with Dave Brown scoring four tries in the first ever rugby league match on French soil, they played a, a big role in getting the momentum going for French Rugby League. And once again, it's International Rugby League that's drawing fans and getting people excited. So the How Kangaroos... baffling, though, for a non-Rugby League fan in France to learn about the, these clubs with the associations with animals from Australia? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how long these clubs lasted, but uh, right. they definitely were formed. So let's move on, shall we? Now, we're getting really to the golden period of French Rugby League right now. So highlighting the giant strides Rugby League had made in France, Max Rousset and Jean Dalga, Dalga were front-page news in L'Auto, which later became L'Equipe, the national French uh, sporting paper. On the eve of the 1938-39 championship final, they were on the front page, and they led Rouen to a 9-0 victory over Villeneuve. So that's, that was the golden season, 1938 39 season, according to Mike Rylance, that was when French Rugby League was at its height. And I'll just combine it with the next tweet. Rugby League was booming in France in the late 1930s. At the end of that golden season in 1938-39, there were record revenues and over 430 clubs in existence, including 200, over 200 professional clubs. While union club numbers had halved in the decade to the end of 1939 to just over 450. So basically had a similar number of rugby league clubs and rugby union clubs. So the Catalan 13 won that 1939-40 championship, but the march of World War II meant the cup final was never played. Yeah, I was just thinking while you were saying that, how tragic Mm. the thought of the French rugby league hitting its stride just as this enormous cloud Mm. loomed over the whole continent. And this is where... So these initial tweets are are full of hope and full of progress. Yeah. This is where things, Big Al, start turning a bit dark. Mm, they do indeed. Okay, next week. This is where things get really depressing. Mm. This is a quote from a decree. We, Marshal of France, head of the French state, decree, Article 1, 
the association known as French Rugby League, whose headquarters are 24 Rue Drue Paris, is dissolved, authorization having been refused. Made at Vichy, 19 December 1941. Mm. So this came after, I think, a year after the Vichy government sort of came to power in France. And I think they there were rumbling straight away that rugby league was in trouble as soon as uh, these people who were leading the sports the new sports uh, area the new sports department because it, it was it all fell thing. under the, the the ministry of education family sport and education yeah. or something like that yeah and so there was this thought that the reason why the french had been just Such easily taken over by <laughs> by the germans was they sort of linked it to professionalism and and sport and, and well, I think the link was it was it was sport in general, right? So yeah. if if like if you looked at the Germans who encouraged fit, young, healthy men, and look yeah. how how strong and you know willing they were to fight for their country, and apparently the French felt they didn't have that, yeah. So therefore, had to make sport uh, a mandatory part of French life. Yeah, but the 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 link with professionalism was weird because they, the idea. So there's in that time there was always a big argument between professionalism and amateurism. That's one of the reasons why there was a split as well, because they had what they called in rugby, shamateurism. Mm. So they were actually being paid, but pretending they weren't, and they were doing it for the love. So the ideal of of rugby and amateur sport is that you you play sport for the sake of it. You don't do it for for financial reward, but the reality was oh so different. And so the idea of rugby league was just to make it transparent. And, you know, a very progressive concept. Mm. You know, they're getting paid, just pay them out in the open and let them play. But that was a real contentious point for many in the upper classes of France and England, of course. And that, and that's one of the reasons why they wanted to ban it, because they thought the formation of men was best served by amateur sport, well, compulsory sport, but compulsory amateur sport. Mm. And so that was a, a, a big... You know, that was a big deal. Yeah. And the interesting part about this is immediately uh, professional sports were targeted, specifically rugby league. Rugby league's dissolved, that's it. Yeah. But the other big sports in France at the time that were openly professional, so we're talking soccer slash football yeah. and tennis, initially were given, I think, three years to work. Yeah. Three years to get their houses in order to unprofessionalize. And in the long run, they that was never, never actually enforced. Yeah. They were allowed to continue. Right. So somebody in some position of power... Mm. had deliberately targeted Rugby League for immediate dissolution. Well, I mean, that takes me to the next tweet. Cue music. The banning of Rugby League was decided in 1941 by the Director of Sports, who was himself a rugby union player, and who was convinced that the disappearance of Rugby League would favour the development of rugby. So this was a quote attributed to, I think, an assistant of that Director of Sports. So Mike Rylance did a bit of investigative journalism he snipped things out and tried to get an interview with this this guy and he was a bit senile by that time I think he couldn't, couldn't string a sentence together but the assistant I think helped him out and gave a, a really telling quote so that really let, let's combine it with uh, with this with this next quote which I'm about to share with you so what became of French rugby league's considerable funds has never been established the league's accounts and files all disappeared According to René Vidier, they took the lot, even our kid. So, like we are saying, at the end of the 1939 season, French rugby league was booming. Mm-hmm. And 
their coffers were full. They had millions of francs in the bank, which all disappeared. All their files disappeared. What happened to the money? No one knows. It's absolutely outrageous. It's pretty, it's pretty outrageous. And the fact that none of this has been, um, I don't know, referred to ever again by anyone in the, in the French rugby union, or even, surprisingly, in the French rugby league, is really surprising. Well, I mean, it, it, there have been, obviously, efforts in the past to, at trying to get something going, but... Such as this? Such as this, <laughs> but yeah, nothing, nothing's really happened over the years, so quite incredible. Now, did you know that for around 50 years after World War II, Rugby League was forced to be called Jeu à Triez, or 13 a side game. In 1993, they finally earned the right to use the word rugby, and the Fédération Française de Rugby à Triez was formed. Mm. So 50 years, even after they were allowed to play Rugby League again, they weren't allowed to use the word rugby in the title. Yep. This is well. This is a just a bugbear of yours. Oh, oh yeah. Well, this is just this this type of type of practice is still going on globally by the rugby union in other countries outside of France. Yep. So the rugby union is, um, I guess, hiding in plain sight in their efforts to deliberately hold rugby league back. It's rugby union is, is blocking their admission as officially as an officially recognised sport in the global sport accord, which apparently is some worldwide body of that recognises sports. Mm. Um, and it's because the rugby union is continually blocking that. Uh, rugby leagues does not get government funding in countries where there would be participation large enough to earn government funding, such mm. as uh, South Africa yep. um, and in the United Arab, Arab Emirates, where somebody who tried to set up uh, a local rugby league competition was actually jailed <laughs> by the rugby union. <laughs> Is that right? Yes, because for using the word rugby. Wow. Yeah. Sol Mokdad. Is that right? Look him up. He's, right. a, he's a young guy. <sighs> well, that's incredible. Anyway, but this is just, you know... Uh, a, a chapter in a never-ending story Absolutely. of the rugby union holding back the rugby league. But I think in terms of the um, disappearing funds and resources, mm. it, I, I think, uh, I guess, not that it's... Not that it forgives it in any way, but I'm sure this was replicated across a number of different yes. industries and kind of arenas yes, yes, yes. In, in, the, in the French era. It doesn't mean that we can't say... This isn't right and we're doing something about it. Well, I mean, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, but we know that following the Challenge Cup final, which happened just on the weekend, there's going to be a movement. You know, people are going to get loud and and try to to start something and get towards the European Parliament and say, hey, fellas, we want reparations. Yep. See what happens. I mean, our friend Catalan Media, he's keen, and I think there's a few others that are keen as well, so... You know, it's a movement. Um, yeah. I actually think just just prior to the telecast of the, the Challenge Cup final, uh, there was a documentary about French rugby league. Is that um, right? That I haven't, I don't know what it's called or, or uh, what it, what the exact contents was, but it it will address the story of the French rugby league and what uh, like what mm. happened in terms yeah. of you know meddling from the rugby union. So I don't know how successful that was when it went to air. Right, but we'll have to uh, check it out. Yeah. yeah. We'll do a, a video club. Ooh. <laughs> Next. Multimedia. <laughs> After the ban, France still managed some Golden Rugby League moments before the inevitable decline. The height was surely their 2-1 away series win in Australia in 1951. So, so this, is a, this is a uh, team in exile. Or are you talking about after um, in, after it was after the war and it was reinstated? Well, they're, it's yeah. 1951, so they're yeah. back. They're playing rugby league. It's not cool. Well, yeah, they weren't rugby league players. They were. They were two, two or three years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A game of thirteen. So they, <laughs> they beat 
the Kangaroos 2-1 in Australia. This is just like mind-boggling for a, a modern-day rugby league follower. Legendary Pew Aubur led a 35-14 triumph in the final test in Sydney. So Aubur, I think he's in the Rugby League Hall of Fame. He was a great. And he basically held French rugby league together in those post-war years. Mm. He really uh, was the centrepiece of French rugby league. And, and of course, you know, it still got to decent heights after the war and great heights. But because of what happened to them in the war, all their structures were torn, torn apart. The amateur teams uh, were basically had to go back to the rugby. So there was no structure for people to come through anymore. So, you know, slowly after the 50s, the French Rugby League declined. Mm. It was a slow, gradual, sad decline to what we basically see now, which is they're starting to rebuild slowly. Well, yep. But Small steps. But they are, you know, obviously well off the pace. Yeah. And it's basically, you can trace it back directly to the banning of French Rugby League back then. Now, next up, this is the, the final the final tweet, actually, we put together before, now, before our final reflections and thoughts on the book. Now, with the passage of time, it becomes more and more difficult for a given sport to increase its audience or its number of participants. Rugby League's startling rise in France in the 1930s will never happen again anywhere. Yep, that's very true. It's, what do you very, think? it's incredibly sad. It's, it's uh, what, especially, what? I mean, it's be, in the context of when Mike Rylance wrote that book. 1999, I believe. Yeah, so things are, it's even more difficult now for, for any upstart sport mm. to try and get any audience. I, I refer you to the extreme trampoline basketball stylings, <laughs> whatever that game is. Like, no one watches that, right? And, that, <laughs> and that's a great sport, I'm sure. It would be, it would be really, really impossible. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just sad that, that the rugby union got to get in the way of mm. something that could have been so great. And there's a, an interesting quote, interesting to think, there was a quote in the book which got me thinking, if rugby league was the first rugby, there would be no rugby union. This, this, this yeah. is the, that was the quote. <laughs> was I am getting that tattooed on my forearm. But who knows? So, I mean, <laughs> that's a journey. That's our journey through the book. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's really a story of what could have been, what was, really. They, they had established themselves over a period of seven or eight years into a force to the equal, if not the slightly superior, of rugby union. Actually, the French Rugby League team did something that the French Rugby League, rugby Union team couldn't do for the preceding four decades, and that was beat England away from home. Uh, they actually did that in Rugby League. And so, so it's a story of what French Rugby League became, and it's a tragedy of yeah. what happened to it following the, the yeah, Second World War. And a, and a close look mm. at a case study of cold-blooded opportunism. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The opportunism is breathtaking. Yeah. Do you have any final reflections on the book, Big? Uh, yeah, so my final reflection is, before going into reading this book, like, every rugby league fan has heard of the, the Nazis outlawing rugby league in, in post in World mm. War II France. That's, or France. That's, that was basically their plan for, for, for Europe, <laughs> yeah. because they, and, they didn't and, like it. They wanted it gone. That was number, number one on the list, kill rugby league. Number two, <laughs> Lebensraum. Okay? <laughs> um... Yeah, but I find it's, it's I mean, it's probably, it's less, it's somewhat disappointing that it, it wasn't through direct orders from Hitler that rugby league <laughs> was banned. And that sort of, that was something that always to me was like, oh, they, you know, the Nazis tried to kill it and they didn't. And it was probably less about 
the Nazis and more about opportunism from the French Rugby League who had been in... French you know, Rugby through, Union. French Rugby Union, sorry, who had been installed in positions of power through, you know, like, I guess, their connections with um, power brokers that were allowed to set up puppet governments and stuff through in the Nazi regime. But it was, it was less about... Um, I guess compliance from the occupying Nazis to allow mm. them to make such decrees rather yeah. than the Nazis themselves saying you know rugby league is evil and it remains what happened remains tattooed on rugby league's existence in France and I've read a bit of, I've tried to read a bit about uh, rugby league in France and they say that going to watch a rugby league game in France is not only watching a sport but being part of a political movement it's there's still that that sort of uh that sort of like rebellion against uh, the authority who you know tried to suppress suppress them because the effects are still being felt all these years later, yeah. no doubt about it. And there'd be real electricity to being a rugby league fan. Yeah, there in France, just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. we're still here. <laughs> just <laughs> we're still here. I mean, the the truth is that that split. You read in the book, it tore communities apart. It tore families apart. So this. Rugby league, rugby union split. We talk about in Australia, there's a, a bit of a gap, but it's not really. You know, you're, you're friends with rugby fans. Or maybe not you. Maybe I'm the Yeah, yeah. Don't know about that. But in France back then, it really, it killed relationships, families and, and clubs and friendships. And I think still today, it, it's quite a, a big gap between rugby and rugby league, in, in the, especially in the south of France. My, my final reflection, I just want to read a quote that wasn't part of our tweets, but this basically, I think, is, is still so relevant to what we see, not in necessarily in sport today, but what we're seeing in politics today. So I want to read this, this quote, which comes near the end of the, a chapter called The German Question uh, in the book. So it says, The destruction of rugby league was the perfect example of how a right-wing political regime of the time might express its reactionary, vengeful, and essentially petty nature. Now, I just think um, that we're actually in a time of history where we're sort of coming back to that that style of right-wing um, government. You're seeing examples of that uh, reactionary, vengeful, yeah. petty nature all around the world at the moment. Uh, you know, we don't have to name them. We know who they are around mm. around the Americas, around Asia, around uh, Eastern Europe, and beyond. So, there's a, a quite a, a prescient quote there by Mike Rylance, and uh, you know, it was a really thought provoking. Into the chapter, and it's all obviously a thought provoking book. So, they're my final reflections. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I'd like to compliment your final quote with a quote that. So I. Um, as part of this book club, I got this book on Kindle, and I subsequently, nice. subsequently highlighted nearly every single passage in there. But I'm just, I'm just flicking through them, and there was one final, there's one sentence I, I wanted to call out that I was like, as I read it, I was like, yeah, and like fist pumped the air. In just in um, the context of the the Vichy regime and the the German Nazi uh, push, um, Ryland says uh, it is to French rugby union's everlasting shame that it should have been linked so closely with that reviled administration. Yeah. And I, why don't they feel shame? Why don't they recognise what's been done in the past and own up to it? They sort of just push it aside and, and just, just sort of say it was um, a bad time and you know, yeah, things happened. It's a very awkward time mm. for Europeans, World War Two. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> but it's also a chance to wipe your hands of your own sins by having someone nastier to blame. Yeah, that's right. So look, I'd love to 
hear from anyone else who's read the book. It's it's obviously a hard book to to get these days. It's about twenty years old. But if you had read the book, please get in touch. Share your thoughts. Have we missed something? Uh, have we misunderstood something? Ha- have we encouraged you to buy the book? Please get in touch. How do we how do we you, get people to get in touch? You can do that on Twitter, which is where you would have seen all these tweets, or on Facebook, or on Progressive RL at outlook.com look thank you for all your efforts there Jono collating Mm. uh, all those tweets and really spreading the message that the forbidden game tries to send that's right and we should send a final shout out like we have been basically over the last few weeks to Mike Rylance for his wonderful work his piece of art thoroughly well researched Mm. and obviously a labour of love absolutely so well done thank you yes excellent alright well thank you gentlemen and thank you listeners good night from us see ya see you in French rugby league we trust (laughs)